You might not enjoy watching a movie with me. Catherine would confirm that I'm one of those who likes to add commentary to my partner's movie experience. Occasionally, I just have to hit the pause button and express my frustration with a certain character's choices or comments. As I shared with some of you recently, one of the most frustrating scenes occurs when there's genuine and great danger. You see it in a lot of movies and TV shows that are made in the US nowadays. On Friday night, a lady called Paige admitted to her chef friend Preacher that her real name wasn't actually Paige and that she and her eight-year-old son were in hiding from her violent husband. This show is predictable and light entertainment, so we all knew what Preacher was going to say next. I promise that I will let nothing happen to you. How can he keep that promise? Short of taking her into hiding on a deserted island, which he didn't because as a chef in a bar in a little town on a river in a remote part of Northern California, he isn't rich enough, then how could he really promise to let nothing happen to Paige and her son? Preacher could have promised that he'd do everything in his power to keep her safe. He could keep that promise But no, he had to go and promise to be God. I don't know if Paige was comforted by Preacher's promise, whether she still felt fearful, but she thanked him for his kindness. But by the end of the episode, she'd mysteriously disappeared and there were blood droplets on her kitchen floor. Preacher's care and determination is admirable. But care and determination don't add up to power and capability. We're to be people of our word. So don't promise what you can't deliver on. But that's not the main point today. Jesus' calming of the storm in Luke 8 is the opposite to my 11pm Friday light entertainment. Jesus demonstrates that he has the power and the capability to keep the disciples safe and it should help us to trust him. I want to look at the three pairs of contrasts in this passage. The raging sea and the calm sea, the sleeping man and the freaking out men, fear and faith. So first, raging sea and calm sea. We're meant to notice the contrast in the physical world in this story. They set out across the Lake of Galilee. Now, sudden storms are characteristic of Galilee, I read. It has to do with being surrounded by mountains, so cold mountain air sweeps down off the mountains through the gorges and whips up the sea. And we're told about the squall in verse 23. Literally, the word squall is a windstorm of wind. It's violent and vicious. The waves are swamping the boat. The bottom of the boat is filling up. Don't think badly of the disciples then. They aren't wimps on the manly ferry on a bad day. No, end of verse 23, they were in great danger. Now remember that a number of the disciples, at least four on my count, were fishermen. So they'd been in very bad weather before, but this was an extreme storm. The waters were raging, verse 24, which is why the contrast is so remarkable. The second half of verse 24, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. It goes from raging to calm in an instant. 
At Jesus' command, the storm subsided and all was calm. Now, a person can be physically strong or emotionally strong, but the really very strong are the ones who, with a word, can make things happen. And Jesus does that all the time in the Gospels. He heals with a word someone in a completely different location to him. He transforms five loaves and two fishes into a feast for 5,000 with a prayer. He forces evil demons out of the people they've overpowered with a command. Jesus has the power and capability to save from danger. And it's reminiscent of the description of God's power in our other reading from Psalm 107. The psalmist pictures a terrible storm at sea. There is no hope till verse 29, the Lord acts. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus' actions on the Lake of Galilee were worthy of the Lord of Psalm 107. The one who can change the physical world from a raging sea to a calm sea with a word is worthy of our trust. We're also meant to notice the contrasts in the human actors in this story. One is so in control and the others have no control. When we look in the boat, we could almost miss Jesus asleep in the stern, obviously very exhausted from his day's work of preaching and healing. Some of you will know someone who is renowned as one who can sleep through anything. Jesus is still sleeping when the boat is being swamped and they are in great danger. But this storm is more than anything. It is everything because everything about their lives is threatened by it. So switch attention to the disciples and the contrast with Jesus is so marked. They are beside themselves with anxiety and stress. In Lisa's words this week, when we were reading the passage together, they are freaking out. Verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now don't imagine here they're like that person who's always overly dramatic and emotional. No, remember that at least some of them have been in storms before. If nothing changes, we're going to drown about sums it up. The contrast is so marked, isn't it? On the one hand, the sleeping, totally unconcerned Jesus. On the other, the distraught, hysterical disciples. In Psalm 107, the terrible storm at sea is so bad that the hardened sailors' courage melts away. They are at their wit's end, at the end of their resources as sailors. Every unnecessary piece of cargo has been abandoned. Every man put to work bailing out the water. A man probably tied to the wheel so he can not be washed overboard as he tries to steer them forward. Ropes and sails trimmed to most advantage. But this boat is still like the bathtub model dropped into the surf at Freshwater Beach. It'll be overwhelmed. And then, verse 27 when they were at their wit's end, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. It's good to be shaken loose from the deception that we're in control of our lives. 
to be brought to our wit's end because it's only then that we can act in accordance with reality and make wise choices. One benefit of this COVID-19 season is that people have had to face the fact that they're not in control of their lives. Most of the world lives every day knowing that, but here in the West, in prosperous northern Sydney, many need to learn that lesson. The more important question, though, is what will people do with that lesson, which leads to our third and final point, fear and faith. Before this COVID-19 season, I didn't enjoy the mornings when I was woken by a young adult son or daughter saying, Dad, I've slept in and don't have time to catch my bus to the mall. Can you drive me, please? I didn't enjoy being woken. I enjoyed the driving even less. But I did it because they needed my help in a desperate situation. Better that than they get to work or uni late. But at least I stir easily. In a raging storm, the disciples had to shout, Master, Master, we're going to drown. It must have been a deep sleep Jesus was in. So I can't blame Jesus when he sounds a bit put out. I would have been as well. Verse 25, where is your faith? Of course, I jest. There's a lot more to verse 25 than Jesus having a Mr. Grumpy moment. Jesus is raising a question for each of us. At the moment, there are lots of reasons for fear. In the face of a dangerous, scary, world beyond our control virus for which there is no cure, a killer, where is your faith? Where do we place our trust when the usual things relied on to fix a problem like money, intellect, technology and determination aren't enough. COVID-19 has exposed so many of the things our society trusts most in as things not able to deliver. Certainly the fact that we don't live in slums or in a society without public, good public health care has lessened the impact of the virus, but many people are still unsettled, uncertain, anxious, afraid. We fear the unknown future for health, for work and business, for the economy. The disciples fear death itself. And there's people among us for whom that's a very real fear as well. Yet Jesus rebukes them for it. The wind and the waves weren't the only things to be rebuked by Jesus that day. Now, this gives us a problem. By waking Jesus to announce, we're going to drown, it seems, doesn't it, that they were exercising faith. In fact, in Matthew's version of this same incident, he reports that the disciples actually say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Yeah, they're asking to save them. Yet they're still criticised by Jesus. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? If faith is reliance or dependence on something, they certainly seem to be relying on Jesus' help at this moment. So what shortcoming in their faith is Jesus critical of? 
What problem with their faith is being exposed by the storm? It is that they fail to recognise that the one who is God's Christ or King can't die in a boat in the middle of Galilee. His time has not yet come. He has a mission to complete, as we remembered last week at Easter. They lacked faith, not so much in his ability to save them, but in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah whose life could not be lost in a storm, who could not be the subject to the mercy of a storm and drowned by mere chance accident, any more than he could later be subject to the Roman and Jewish leaders unless he allowed it. Up to this point in Luke, Jesus has already performed many healing miracles, demon exorcisms. He's even raised a widow's dead son to life again. And the disciples have witnessed all this. But the penny hasn't dropped that he is God's Christ King. A storm can't touch him. He's Lord over the storm. Their question in verse 25 reveals their mind at this point. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. It's the right question, who is Jesus? And based on the right data, with a word of command, he's just brought the storm to its knees. But after this incident, will they draw the right conclusion? We can be critical of the disciples' lack of trust in Jesus at this point. But we have the benefit of living this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. We've seen all his miracles, including this one and the feeding of the 5,000 he's about to perform. And we've had time to ponder the implications of Jesus' resurrection for our attitude to death. They'll begin to answer their own question more accurately. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus himself raises the question again, Who do you say I am? And Peter will answer on behalf of his brothers, you are God's Christ. But still then, their understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ is only partial. It's not complete. The disciples need to experience their fear again at Jesus' arrest and crucifixion and the faith-inducing euphoria of his resurrection to really grasp who he is. But we're in a different place to the disciples. We aren't rocking in a boat on a calm sea trying to grasp the implications of what just happened. From our vantage point, we know who is the Lord over sea and nature and virus and also Lord over death. We know who by dying for us has proven his love and care for all time and every moment when we might doubt it. We know who we can trust to save us from drowning and from virus or not. We know who we can trust to have our good at heart even when we contract the virus or lose our work or our investments suffer because of it. We know who has defeated death, including our death, should he call us home. If you've carefully considered the data of the New Testament, then you have all you need to answer the question, who is this man? And to be marked by faith, not fear. And when you feel weak in faith or worried, and inevitably you will, 
And that's not bad. It's normal to feel worried or anxious, dare I say fearful, of things in life. What will matter is what you do, how you respond. What will be true of you? Will it be faith chases out fear or fear chases out faith? When my faith is weak, as it has been this week, as we've come to terms with little Benjamin's sudden death, it's a time to remember Jesus, his power, his loving death and unsurpassed resurrection and to pray for help. That's faith. And to ask for strength and faith when it feels weak. That's faith as well. On the Lake of Galilee, Jesus demonstrates he has the power and capability to keep the disciples safe. It should help us to trust him. Let's pray.